You're listening to the Power of Video podcast, episode number 56. In this episode, you're going to learn about trademarking your podcast, podcast copyright rules, and fair use when it comes to podcasting, all from an actual entertainment lawyer. And make sure to stay to the end for some free gifts to legally protect your podcast. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here with another episode. Today, we are joined by the podcast lawyer, Gordon Firemark. Gordon, how's it going, buddy? I'm great, Thomas. Nice to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So dude, we're going to jump right into it. Tell us what you do and who you serve. Well, as you said, I'm the podcast lawyer. I've been practicing entertainment media and business law for nearly 30 years now. And of course, in that time, technologies have evolved and things have converged and changes came about. I started podcasting myself uh, 12 and a half years ago when I first sort of discovered the, the medium. And in so doing, I, I realized that there wasn't a lot of explanation of the legal stuff for folks that do podcasting and new media. So I actually wrote uh, an ebook about it called the podcast blog and new media producers legal survival guide. And since then that sort of has positioned me as the podcast lawyer. And it even says it on your thing. So yeah, it's official <laughs> now. But uh, so do you think that people when they start podcasting, whether it's for a hobby or for their business, do you think they let the legal side fall to the wayside a little bit? Oh, definitely. Yeah. People don't think about what they're doing as being the kind of thing that carries risk and, and exposure. And um, yeah, unfortunately, oftentimes it's left until there's a problem when they think about it. And I, I really view my role as sharing information and educating people so they can avoid those kinds of problems uh, that you, you can have with, you know, anytime you're creating media, you know, you, you as a trained journalist, you knew you had the training to understand intellectual property rules and privacy and defamation and those kinds of things. But a lot of folks getting started in podcasting didn't get that training. And so I'm here to fill in some of those gaps. And what are some of the main gaps you're seeing right now with uh, beginners and even people who've been doing this a while? Everybody who wants, starts a podcast wants to use the opening strains from Back in Black by ACDC as their theme music or something like that. You can't. <laughs> don't do it. You just can't. Uh, it's copyright material. And everybody thinks they have the answer that it's fair use or those kinds of things. So there's, the, using other people's content is probably the biggest um mistake I see that that uh, new folks in the podcasting space get into. Um, and beyond that, it's the kinds of things that you say on your show that might hurt a person's reputation or reveal private information about them or, uh, you know, sometimes even just using a person's name or likeness or their voice, their recording without their consent, without their permission. So um, I, my sort of crusade is everybody who's doing a podcast that has guests on should use a release form and have the guests sign something. You and I didn't do it today, but you hereby have my consent to record <laughs> my voice and use it throughout the world in perpetuity in any and all media now known or hereafter devised. <laughs> yeah, breaking up, breaking our own rules. <laughs> well, but you, the, the reason that you want a written release is that unless you're a lawyer and you're going to remember to say all of those things I just said, you're likely to leave something out if you just do it orally. So better to have it in writing. So you know, it's done right every time. Yeah. And we'll get it linked up in the uh, show notes sure. below for everybody who, uh, who has it. And mm -hmm. like I said, with people with so many podcasts starting these days, and even with, I know there was a rule 
about like it, you can use three to six seconds of whether it's ACDC or a soundbite from somebody else, is that still a thing or can you still get tagged for that? So it actually never was a rule. Oh, well, that's awesome. It's a misconception. <laughs> a big misconception. Okay. Well, clearing the, that, dude, yeah. I have been, I, th I have thought that for yeah. 10 the, years. Well, the reason for the misconception, and again, coming out of a training as a news, as a journalist, mm -hmm. you came from a place where what you were doing was news, newsworthy. And so using stuff like that in that context probably fits into the, the, exception or the defense to copyright infringement called fair use. But it's actually a much more complicated analysis, not just how long a piece of stuff you use, but also how substantial is it compared to, you know, the whole, what's the nature and purpose of what you're doing, you know, and, and what's the impact on the market. And in music in particular, there's a very robust music licensing market. You can buy the rights to use music. So that kind of thing is seen as an end run around having to pay for something. And that doesn't usually pass muster. And can't that get expensive? Or like, I don't know who you would get in contact with to call ACDC, uh, get them on the horn and uh, right. ask them how much that would be. Yeah. You're going to go to the record company and the music publishing company because there's two copyrights mm. and they're going to have to go back and ask the guys in the band or their heirs if some of them have passed on, you know, those kinds of things, it gets to be time consuming and expensive. I'm, I'm frankly more concerned about the time because if you're trying to put out a podcast episode this week, you might be waking, waiting five or six weeks for the permission. So I feel, I feel like you'd take longer than that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just be safe and just probably not use that. What about just like little like tag phrases like I know with the, even in YouTube, there was like a lot of people were using this thing from SpongeBob, this mm -hmm. transition that'll say like five years later or something like that. It was a, one of those things. And a Again, bigger YouTuber that I follow mm -hmm. had to go back through all his vlogs, all yeah. 400 vlogs and manually take those out because he was getting tagged. He wasn't getting monetized. Yeah. Same, same issue. Um, when you use something created by someone else, you are infringing on copyright material, unless that someone else was creating it a hundred years ago or more, you know? So, yeah, I mean, you know, the best practice is don't use anything that you didn't create yourself or that you haven't obtained permission for. Um, now that's it, you know, I can comfortably say, use the force Luke right here, orally right here. I'm not using a mm -hmm. clip from the movie. That short of a little phrase itself isn't a protectable, copyrightable thing. But if I was using a, a, a you know, a clip from the movie where Obi-Wan says it to Luke, now I'm actually copying something that is protected and protectable. So dang. And we kind of talked about uh, release forms, even with interviews like this. And you know me, I've been interviewing for years and I'm yeah. super interview heavy. Um, how important is it to have a release form, just get it signed or have a little, I know with um, softwares like Calendly mm -hmm. and stuff, can you just use the little ticker and that work? Like, yeah, or do they have to sign something? You know, the, the, what we call click wrap agreements where you click through something or, or type your name and you're done, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Those are valid and binding in most situations. I wouldn't use it if you're buying a house or a condo <laughs> or a business, but for these kinds of things, yeah, it's perfectly reasonable to rely on those kinds of 
click wrap agreements and and uh, electronic format kinds of things. Yeah, it's I think it's very important. As, you know, look again in the in the news journalism world where you're doing interviews, uh, you know the the subject would see the camera the microphone that you're a journalist they would sort of know what they're getting into and you could rely on some implied consent the other thing is that in the news world you you shoot it today it goes on the air tonight and tomorrow everybody's forgotten and moved on podcasting youtube video these kinds of things they have a life they live on they're evergreen and so that consent becomes more important when you have to contend with people coming years later and saying hey i didn't give you permission those kinds of things. Yo, what about like emails? Cause, and I, and I'm curious, cause I'm sure a lot of people are going through this as well that aren't using uh, these release forms, sure. but what about just like an email thread of, you know, basically agreeing to be on the podcast and God yeah. forbid, like they said something they weren't supposed to, or something was wrong. And then they're like, Oh, whatever, take mm-hmm. it down or something. Is it, is that email thread? uh enough to is that does that have enough weight as the release form yeah emails can serve as essentially evidence of the agreement to appear Mm -hmm. and whatever the scope of what was said in the emails would essentially help articulate what the agreement was the trouble is as i said earlier when i recited my litany of of permissions if you leave something out of the emails if it's not all in there Mm. you know, then there's an open gap. And that's, those are the things that lawyers like to drive trucks through. Damn. And there are, and aren't there specific lawyers that handle those sort of situations that are like looking for super meticulous stuff like that? Well, you know, look, any, any lawyer who's taking a case from somebody who's upset about this is going to find those kinds of loopholes and openings. Mm. Their first question out the bat is, did you sign anything? Did you agree? And well, I've got these emails. Well, let's see them. And they start pouring over. That's the nature of what lawyers do is that sort of that investigation into the facts and law. Uh, Are there special kinds of lawyers that do it? Entertainment media lawyers are the ones that I think most of these cases get referred to. And the litigation ones are the ones that file lawsuits and make your life (laughs) miserable for years on end. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but with I feel like with smaller and and with you know podcasts and shows that are just starting out, do you think if it ever did get to the legal part, do you think it's more of it's just best to take the video down and just kind of forget about it, learn from it, and then start using you know these type of documents? That is certainly one approach, and it hey take it if you don't mind taking it down, then it's easy. The problem goes away. I think, though, that, you know, look, for, for folks who are doing journalism, especially if you're, if you're telling important stories and, you, and that interview is part of an important cycle or, or whatever, or, or frankly, it's just part of the history of your show, taking it down may not be the ethical thing to do for your relationship with your audience. If you have sponsors and advertisers on your show or, or you're, you know, monetizing, hey, they expect that that episode is going to stay there. So if you take it down, now you're in breach of a contract with your sponsor or your or your advertiser. So there's all kinds of secondary and tertiary issues that can come up from this. And so that's why, you know, err on the side of caution. And, and uh, you know, the, the other thing is approaching these things, even if you're in it just as a hobby, just doing this for fun, coming at things like a professional with an attitude of professionalism means having these legit processes and systems and things in place. And that's what gives you the 
you know, the ability to grow because if you, you know, maybe you're real small, but if you want to stay that way, great. Just keep doing things the way you're doing. If you want to grow, give yourself the confidence and security and feeling of, of empowerment to take some risks, you know, and, and minimize what the actual risk is. Having that release agreement is a way of reducing the risk that you have a, a guest come back later and say, take it down, or you mischaracterized what I said, or you misquoted me or whatever, and, and throwing shots at you. So, yeah. And I think everybody just doesn't think it's going to happen to them. And I'm super guilty of this. I've been doing this almost to, you know, been in the industry for 10 years, been podcasting for two. And I just, uh, like I said, even in this interview, just broke my own rule, but I really need to get, cause like if it, if, and when it's only a matter of time, like you do this long enough, you know, people are so, I feel like quick to, I don't know if they didn't like something they said, you know, I had one interview where the girl said something and she didn't even like, I know where the line is. Cause I tread the line myself and my, sure. you know, but it's just like, she didn't like it. And I was like, mm, uh, whatever, yeah. but well, it's, you know, that, that is a valid thing is you may present the release to somebody who says, Nope, not going to sign it. Yeah. This isn't, this is an important moment in your decision-making. You know, you may decide to go ahead anyway and just and trust roll the it. dice. I might, I might have to take it down if she doesn't like my, my, my episode, Yeah, but it may also tell you an awful lot about who you're dealing with and whether you want to continue mm. dealing with them. So yeah, look, some celebrities just, they're not going to sign it. They're going to send it up to their agent and their lawyers, and you're going to have all kinds of back and forth. And yeah, in those instances, again, you, when you're dealing with someone who has an experience level in this industry, the implicit consent may be strong enough, but yeah. when you're dealing with someone who hasn't, you know, just wrote a book and it's the first time ever doing media tours and things, you're better off with the signature than without That's bottom line. Yeah. Because I was even just thinking, cause even on somebody kind of like you said, I feel like it would speak to somebody as a person, whether it's like somebody our size or even a little bit bigger mid-level or even at the top tier, if they're not willing to do it, mm -hmm. it's just not, I don't, like you said, I, I would be a little weary too, because it's all about value. Like the way I come across as value, I'm not TMZ. I'm not trying to do anything like that, yeah. but even with, but with the celebrity level, like I have plans to start reaching out to high level influencers, celebrity level people. I, mm -hmm. I don't even think I'm not even going to attempt to throw that in their face. Cause dude, they're getting hit up all the time. And I guarantee I think they would either laugh or just, I think it would just be a hurdle. Well, and in that situation, it may be good enough to have a, a little scripted statement that you read as you start recording. Okay. We're recording now. You understand we're going to be doing this. It's a podcast. It's going to be published this way. Everything good. All right, let's go. Oh, and, okay. And there you go. You know, so, so maybe you could, do it verbally. Yeah. You could do it verbally. again, having it scripted though, so that you get yeah. all of those things in. And when people download my, uh, podcast release form, which is free. Um, I include a script for the oral version of it. So you, you, that will work. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, the formality of the process is sometimes useful. I will say also that when you project that kind of professionalism, some people are worried that it's going to alienate the guests. And I think it's, it's just as likely that it's going to give the guest a feeling of confidence that they're dealing with a pro. Yeah. And it's been a second since I looked at, uh, looked at it. Is there anything in there? I know it's really good and it's perfectly worded and everything. Is there anything about, um, running it as an ad No, on there? In fact, it's that sort of specifically excluded ads for the show. Yes. But ads for other things. No, you don't want to, you know, again, if you're, if you're getting 
of uh, George Clooney to come on your show, he's not going to say yes to you using his recording and, and likeness yeah. to advertise, you know, Coca-Cola. <laughs> Damn it, George. <laughs> uh, and we've been talking about so much about like release forms and things. Yeah. What about like names, like trademarking names to podcasts, to shows and everything yeah. like that? So trademarks are words or symbols or phrases, those kinds of things, logos that are used to identify a particular source for goods or services in commerce. So example, you buy a box of crackers, it's got a red triangle in the corner, you know, that's coming from Nabisco. Mm -hmm. They're authentic Nabisco Triscuit crackers or Ritz crackers, whatever it is. If you, and, and the show title for a podcast or a video series could also be a trademark. It has to be distinctive. So not descriptive. My own podcast title is, is a, a great example of what not to do. It's entertainment law update. And so yeah. when we started it 12 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to protect it as a trademark. And unfortunately, over time, it's acquired a kind of distinctiveness and it's recognized as being from us now. So we do have a trademark. But the point being, you want to pick something that stands apart and distinguishes your show from all the others out there. Um, so you stay away from descriptive titles and things like that. Once it's distinctive, yeah, you can register it as a trademark and, uh, and, um, prevent others from using titles that are confusingly similar. Trademark law is all about, um, avoiding confusion. Mm. It's for, to protect the consumer basically. Yeah. And that's the thing. So would you recommend for people starting out immediately try to trademark something? Because I feel like what a lot of, you know, like startup entrepreneurs who are going into this, whether they know they're a startup entrepreneur or not, um, everything's evolving. Like my show evolved. Like yeah. I went from talking to people in the entertainment industry yeah. Now it's basically the same thing, still talking to creatives, still talking to professionals, but people who are using video to build their brands and business. Mm -hmm. But I don't, like I said, I don't think people think about all the legal stuff up front and I guarantee you they're not thinking trademark right off the rip. Yeah. And I don't think they need to, not right off the bat. Okay. I think that it's sort of third on the list of things that you <laughs> want to think about. Number one is of course, you know, what's the content? You're not infringing anybody else's intellectual property. Number two is who owns this thing. If you're working with co-hosts and guests and things like that, make sure you've got that release signed by every guest. Make sure you've got a contract with your co-host, or maybe you have an LLC to house the, the, the business of the show so that the ownership is clearly identified and distinguished. And, you know, you know, you, you know, you own what you think you own. Mm -hmm. Then it's time to start expanding on what that ownership embodies. And that's where making sure you have your, your brand protected because trademark is a brand. Make sure you have your copyrights in place for your episodes. That doesn't necessarily mean you register every episode as a, for a copyright, but you want to make sure you're taking the right steps for your circumstances. And then when you start to monetize, that's the fourth layer of things where you're getting into um, uh, contracts with your sponsors and advertisers or whatever other monetization scheme you're using. You want to make sure you're playing it by the numbers. Yeah. So what happens then, you know, you're building your brand and business, you're starting to get traction, you're starting to make money and you've used this name and that's what everyone knows you for. Mm -hmm. And then you go to trademark it and it's taken. Oh, Yes. Well, hopefully you did a search before you started. So you don't get into the situation of having it taken when you get there. So work it real quick. Where can we yeah. search just to make sure it's not taken? Well, there are comprehensive trademark search 
services out there. You can go to companies like, um, um, oh, the, well, the trademark search company is one of them. Talk about your descriptive terms, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Thompson, right. Thompson Compute Mark is another one. You know, they cost hundreds of dollars to run these searches. Oh, really? Um, but it's about protection. You know, you're protecting yourself against starting up your show and 10 episodes in or 100 episodes in, you get that cease and desist letter from the other guy's lawyer saying, time to stop. And by the way, go take all those episodes down, right? Yeah. Or change the title of all those episodes. I mean, that, that's, you know, it's a big project. So it may be worth a few hundred dollars to, to have confidence. But at the very beginning, what I would say is do a search using your search, your favorite search engines. Google it. Do a search on Amazon. If there are books by the same title, that's a good indicator. If there are films and radio programs, those kinds of things by the same or similar title, that's a good indicator that you want to go back to the drawing board. Then you can go to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. If you're in the U.S., of course, this matters. You go to USPTO.gov and do a search on their trademark search service. It's called TESS, Trademark Electronic Search System. Um, and that will give you some indication of whether or not the same or similar phrases are being used in connection with similar kinds of goods and services. You know, trademark doesn't protect uh, a chewing gum manufacturer against somebody else calling their podcast double mint, <laughs> you know, or something <laughs> yeah. like that, uh, or big red. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, the, the trademarks are registered in categories. So that's when you have to do some, you know, uh, just use some judgment about whether or not it seems likely that they would come into the entertainment and media space or not and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. What about on the reverse end? Like what would happen if like you, you get everything going and you do trademark it, you do everything that you just said, everything's ready yeah. to rock and roll. And then you come across or one, one of your fans, followers, subscribers is like, Hey, uh, there's a guy or girl trying to do yeah. what you're doing using a very similar name and basically mm -hmm. just copying you, then what? Now, what do you do? Send them a cease and desist. Well, what I recommend, I, I have clients I do this for all the time. We, we, we've sort of established a protocol where I originally, I helped the client sort of craft the initial email that they would send to that person, track down their contact information, send them a note saying, Hey, hate to be this guy, but you should know, got a registered trademark. I'm asking you nicely, please change your title, take it down, whatever. And if you don't get a favorable response to that, most of the time they say, oh gosh, I had no idea. Sorry, I'll fix it. If you catch that in the first three episodes or so, they'll, most of the time they're pretty content to do that. If they don't cooperate, that's when you call me and you get me to write, you know, the, the official, nice letter, the real nice letter. <laughs> the official season is that we call them nasty grams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's basically just, hey, stop it or else. Yeah. You got to be ready to go forward with the or else if it doesn't work. Now, the other thing is that if you're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio, you can also notify those companies, hey, this person is using a title that I own the rights to. They'll take it down pretty quickly. Hmm. So, and that, you know, at worst, it leads to some embarrassment for the podcaster that whoever's doing the infringing so I always try to give them the, the polite, please take it down approach first, just so, you know, be a good person and, and don't, don't stick your thumb in their eye twice, <laughs> <laughs> you know, once gently. And then if it's, if they're giving you a hard time back, that's when you, you press the issue.
Yeah. And if you do have to go to the next level, can it be like, can it be really, I, I can only imagine it being expensive for both parties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a lawsuit for trademark infringement, you are talking about tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in legal fees and expense. And frankly, it's just years out of your life chasing yeah. after the, the problem. And yeah, if, you know, if the, if the trademark owner wins the case, the defendant is going to end up paying those legal fees and things in many instances. So, and, and you said that can get up into like the hundreds and thousands, easy, easy into the six figures. And sometimes we even see it into seven figures. Yeah. Most people don't have the tolerance for that level of financial pain. Um, you know, and big companies do, of course, but yeah, so they end up settling and you may not ever hear about all the cases that settle. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if I send you that cease and desist letter and I can demonstrate, hey, we've got the superior rights. And if we sue you, it's going to cost you tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're going to pretty quickly come to the table and say, okay, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I always counsel my clients to try to be gracious about it when those things happen, because the shoe could be on the other foot someday. <laughs> you know, karma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And now I'm just surely curious. So if it's going to get into like the six figure, seven figure mark, and let's yeah. just say the company doesn't have the deep pockets as some of these bigger companies, mm -hmm. if it's going to get to that level, is it, I don't know if it's like this with you or any other lawyers, if they wanted to get to that number, but didn't have the money, would they, could they work out a deal with you? It's like, Hey, this is the amount of money I want. I don't have the money for the retainer to pay you up front, but you get the higher percentage if we collect. Does that make sense? Yeah. Lawyers who do the litigation and these kinds of things sometimes do work on those, you know, backend contingency kind of deals. Trademark infringement isn't really one of those where that where we see a lot of that. I mean, mm -hmm. None of the intellectual property stuff really is. Usually the yeah, the party who is pursuing the claim does have to, you know, foot the bill for their lawyers' bills. Um what we sometimes do is we agree that we'll bill them, you know, over time. It, it's not saying if we only get paid if we win, although I guess there's some folks that do that too. But we will send you, you know, we need a retainer up front of whatever it's going to be, and that'll take us so far. And then if we move to the next phase, we'll we'll bill you. And, you know, we can't just stop the lawsuit because we haven't gotten paid. So at some point, uh, now you owe us the money, whether we win or not. Hopefully, you know, and look, we win, we get the money, you, you pay it out of that. If not, it may take a few years to pay it down. So, um, Ugh, sounds yeah, like a nightmare. Yeah, I, well, you know, look, I don't want to, I don't want to I mean, look at the most. Yeah, we're not time, trying to scare anybody, but I, like I said, I was just curious right. because like, is it, you know, you hear those big numbers. Yeah. I always think of those old commercials on TV. Like he got yeah. me $600,000 and all that yeah. stuff, you know? So it's like, yeah, that, all right. But that's yeah. That is the end result. Again, these giant bills that I'm talking about, that's the end result of years of it going back and forth in litigation. It doesn't get up into seven figures or six figures if it settles quickly. You know, if, if we, even if we have to file a lawsuit and then the other side says, okay, they're serious. Maybe they hire a lawyer who tells them, you know what, you just need to settle this case. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Cause if you ever do get sued, your lawyer wants to get paid for defending you, not for advising you to settle, <laughs> but yeah. you need to ask hard questions. So, um, uh, you know, but, but yeah, the settlements happen because, you know, nobody wants, no lawyer wants to take a case. That's a, a dog of a loser. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll, if they think there's a legit case, they'll, they'll want to defend it. But, uh, uh, so, you know, you may get the advice, Hey, just settle it. And 
then you're talking about, you know, a few to 10,000 bucks, something like, I don't know, to, every lawyer charges differently. So. Yeah, definitely. And you, like you said, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, you've seen it all. I'm sure you've, you know, we've been talking about trademarks and, you know, release forms and all this legal stuff for startup entrepreneurs and, yeah. you know, digital innovators and influencers, whatever you want to call yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have actually packaged all your knowledge now into a program. And yeah. I definitely want to hear about that. Well, what I have is a, a it's a training program and a set of legal um, templates and worksheets and all, you know, all the sort of tools that you need to get the, the core legal stuff done for your podcast enterprise, your business. It's called easy legal for podcasters. Just another one of those descriptive, not dis- distinctive <laughs> yeah. titles. Break it. Yeah. It's um, all good. It really, We're breaking all the rules today. It's all good. Yeah. But it, it tells you what yeah. it is and, and uh, it's available sometimes not, you know, the, the doors are open at easylegalforpodcasters.com. And, you know, you you get a bunch of training with me, video training, as well as how-to walkthroughs about how to form your LLC or your corporation for your show, how to, uh, uh, you know, even how to just sort of think legit and create a vision for what you're doing and to do some business planning, but then also how to get your team on board in in the smart, safe way that makes sure you own what you think you own intellectual property structures, the trademarks, the copyrights, that kind of stuff. And yeah, contracts with your, with your monetizing side, the customers and clients. So it's sort of all there. Um, and yeah, it's part of my mission is here to help people and make it affordable for people who don't want to, or can't hire someone like me to do it all for them. Yeah. And the thing I like about this program is it's all in one space because I Mm -hmm. know even just, uh, just being scattered, it's like, you're going to save time by having to Google everything. And it's like, well, who do you trust? Well, it's like, well, this guy says this, this guy says that. And then it's just like, I know there's legal zoom and things like that. And I, and people go that route. I know. Cause it's like the cheaper way, but like what, I guess, what differentiates you from something like that? Well, I'll tell you, I, I refer to those rocket zoom legal pot, you know, whatever's as vending machine law. It essentially is pay them their money and they spit out a form, you know, you fill in a few, a few blanks and they, and it spits out a form and you don't know whether the form is any good. You don't know whether the, the choices that you made when you filled in the form are the right choices to have been made because they're not giving you any background, any education, any knowledge. Um, So, you know, you're, you're paying for essentially a plain vanilla template and not a lot of guidance what easy legal for podcasters does is it give you the guidance first and then says, here's the template. Look, anybody who can figure out how to create a podcast or a YouTube channel can figure out how to fill out a form, you know, mm-hmm. what, how to, how to type the answers into a blank on a word processing document. It's knowing what to type that matters. And, you know, sometimes those prompts on the vending machines are good and sometimes they're not. And sometimes there's open questions and you guess, my, what we try to do is take the guesswork out of it. And, and when you know you've made the decisions about all of this stuff based on the knowledge that we share, you're creating a better, more custom, uh, you know, suited document to your particular needs. And what would you say is the biggest takeaway from your program? Like, what do you hope, what do you hope everybody takes from it the most? Well, my, my goal is that everybody has these things squared away. You know, it's about crossing T's and dotting I's getting it done. 
so often people don't get any of this stuff done because they're afraid it's going to be too expensive or afraid they don't know what they're doing and they'll mess it up or they're, or they're, you know, they're just burying their head in the sand. Oh, there's no risk. I'm not in any danger. You know, none of those kinds of things. My real goal is to give podcasters the power, the, the confidence, the security so that they can go out and do their thing podcasting without any niggling worry in the background about oh, what's coming around the next corner. And because if it comes, I've got my legal protections in place. I've got my documents locked down. I've got everything figured out. I'm doing everything right. That is what makes the difference between playing the big game to win and playing the small game, just not to lose. Yep. Awesome. Well, Gordon, I really appreciate it. Where can people get, I'm going to put uh, a link to uh, your wait list or to, to your yep. program in the show notes here and in the description, because I've been doing this on YouTube. It's going to be on YouTube as well. Sure. Um, but where can we find you? Well, gordonfiremark.com is sort of the hub and home for everything that I do. The program is at easylegalforpodcasters.com. That's spelled out the word for, not the number, easylegalforpodcasters.com. And if you are looking for that, just that basic podcast guest release for podcasting and YouTube, go to guestrelease.com and that's free. Just give me your email address and, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Well, Gordon, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. It's always good Honestly, talking to you, man. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me.